Hey, it's Josh. Before we get into the episode, I wanted to let you all know that the Vermont Public Spring Membership Drive has arrived. Donations from folks like you make everything we do here possible. If you want to help support our people-powered journalism, be sure to make a donation in any amount by March 16th by going to bravelittlestate.org donate. And as always, thank you for your support. Yeah, so let's all say one, two, three, and then we'll snap, like snap into the mic. Okay. That might help us. Okay. Okay, ready? One, two, three. Hopefully that <laughs> <laughs> sounded all right. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, Brian, do you want to just sort of tell us the story of Matt? Yeah, uh, so his name's Matt Clark. Those are the questions you should have been asking me. Real life, personal questions. <laughs> I think I got. I'm just shook with the uh, with the microphone in front of me. Um, born in Burlington, grew up in Essex. He's 33 years old, and so at high school, he said there were only two to three black people in the school total. So that's just you know, an early introduction to the sort of, you know, the way Vermont is. And that's kind of what we were talking about. You know, being one of the few black students, a lot of people want to know, you know, my background. Depending on who you were, how you said it, you know, they try to touch your hair. That's always, that was always a huge one. You know, people always want to touch black people's hair. They're just interested. And sometimes, you know, especially with my name, that's not a very if you will, black name, it's kind of a white name. So a lot of times I get that too, you know, made fun of. So a little bit of prejudice in that. So Matt and I know each other. Um, I've worked in the restaurant business for quite some time. That was where I was working before I started at VPR. And, you know, I've been part-time at VPR, always working in different restaurants too. And Matt and I have just... um, We've just been in each other's orbit. How'd you get into cooking? I got into cooking because, you know, it's the one thing that I, I know everybody can relate to. Everybody can relate to it. You got to eat every day, right? You eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner, right? So it doesn't matter what color you are. <laughs> and just that alone, it's like people come together. What's a barbecue? You come together. What's a picnic? Y'all come together. I thought Matt was a good place to start just because he's a very positive person for the most part. And it's hard to be positive for some people of color because there's they've just had bad things happen to them in their lives. And Matt and I have both had, you know, troubles at at these restaurants we've worked at together we've had our own issues and you know we just kind of laugh it off because it's it's harder because because we know that those problems are so minuscule into some of the other problems that a person of color can experience my personal perspective you know the racism in this in this country particularly is very harmful and it spreads like a germ, like COVID, and people don't seem to understand that. And that's 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 the bigger picture. So there's so many different issues that are going on, but I, I asked him to 
narrow it down if he could think of something that could be changed that could help you know that would benefit people like us so let me pull that one up is opportunity everybody has opportunity that's what america was built on so why can't i stand next to the man across the street and be able to have the same corner store or the same little cooking spot or the same little hardware store or whatever your little trade might be but i think everybody should be able to have that opportunity color shouldn't play a factor with that because a lot of times especially up here in vermont i feel like it's a hush hush state you know, there's a lot more racism than a lot of people see, you know, and we don't need to be blinded anymore. Just the fact that, you know, there's a lot of hatred, but there's a time where we can come together and learn how to love. And I think that time, it should be right now. I really do. From Vermont Public Radio, this is Brave Little State. I'm Angela Evansy. Here on the show, we answer questions about Vermont that have been submitted and voted on by you, our audience. Today, a question from Teo Spencer of Panton. How can the state, both its government and its people, support Vermonters of color? A question about how a state that is 94% white can do better. It always felt like a contradiction to be black and to be a Vermonter. And that is because of the stories that we tell. Google is your best friend. There are so many articles and books to read. I'm done being uncomfortable. I'm I'm making everyone else around me uncomfortable now. We have support from the VPR Innovation Fund. Welcome. Thanks to Vita for their support of Brave Little State. Since 1974, Vita has helped Vermont businesses grow and thrive. From agriculture to energy, startups to family companies. Find solutions that fit your business. Visit VEDA.org to start your next chapter today. And Sunset Lake CBD, a farmer-owned business crafting CBD products right here in Vermont. Learn more about their sustainable farming practices, delivery options, and how to support local farmers at sunsetlakecbd.com. Bryant, VPR listeners might recognize your voice because normally you're on the air as an announcer. Yep, I'm Bryant Denton. I've worked at VPR for a little over three years now, doing work, a couple different departments, but I've never done any reporting work like this for VPR. Right, this is your BLS debut, which is very exciting. And the timing for this worked out well because we had this winning question And it kind of lined up with some of the types of conversations that you had been wanting to record. Yeah, no, things did line up for this story. Um, A little bit about me. I'm originally from Plattsburgh, New York, just across the lake from Burlington. And upstate New York and Vermont are, they're very similar, especially in how there's not a lot of people of color around. I don't run into overt racism every day, but, you know, I can tell you that I've overheard someone calling me the N-word, or I've heard people just using the word out loud, and when I moved to Burlington, the first thing I was greeted by was a Confederate flag in the middle of my apartment, so 
you know, I've I've dealt with things like that. And even at VPR, I'm one of the few people of color on staff. So thinking about all of those things and then looking at the fallout from George Floyd's death, I think Vermont has a lot of energy to engage with this conversation, but it's a new conversation for some people and it's difficult for a lot of people. And what I keep thinking is that, you know, it, it's it's one thing to go to a rally, but it's another thing to just sit down with someone, a person of color, and just really talk and get to listen to them, get to hear them, know their story. And that's the type of conversation that I think people should hear more of. So that's why I started talking with Matt. Tell me a change that you think about. You know, that's, that's to be honest, that's real hard. We, we definitely can't change our past, and we shouldn't forget the past. But hopefully we can teach about the past to make it better for all of us for our future. And that's basically trying to teach our kids, you know, the difference between right and wrong. So Matt Clark was the person that I interviewed. But Angela, you collected a lot more tape for this episode. Yeah, I recorded a bunch of conversations with people. And we also published an open invitation for BIPOC Vermonters to just call in or share voice memos um, answering Teo's question. So without further ado... So uh, my name's Trevon Groves. I live in Randolph, Vermont. I'm 31. And uh, I'm an activist. <laughs> my name is Wen Yu Xie. I live in St. Johnsbury, Vermont. My name is Z Muhammad. I use they, them pronouns. I am 18 years old. I am a black queer youth, and I've lived in Brattleboro, Vermont my whole life. There were many, many people kind enough to answer Teo's question about how to support Vermonters of color. My name is Niall Rele. I'm an educator at a college, and I moved to Vigenz uh, about three years ago. My name is Matthew LaFleur. I live in Albert, Vermont, with family. Hello, my name is Ruben Jackson. I live in Washington, D.C. I lived in Vermont for eight years, and I'm a former employee Vermont Public Radio. I'm Ashley Laporte. I live in Burlington, Vermont, in the South End. Hi, I'm Jess Laporte, and I grew up in Stowe with Ashley. Which one of you is older? Me. (laughs) Ashley. That's the right way to ask the question. (laughs) The thing about this episode is that we're not going to get to know any one person super well because there really are so many voices. My name is Ash Diggs. My name is Mayumi Cornell. Briar Erickson. Yvonne Bruno. John Hunt. Hi, I'm Benny. Native Vermonters, longtime residents, expats, former expats, parents, professionals, students, from all sorts of backgrounds. My family is African-American and Caribbean-American. I grew up in big cities in, in India and Nigeria. I'm answering this question as a biracial cis woman. I am a new immigrant from Asia. Myself is a person with disability. I'm black, African-American person. I am a citizen, an Abenaki citizen, and on both sides of my family have Abenaki ancestry in Vermont. For me, being an indigenous Vermonter, a lot of us aren't necessarily seen as people of color. You know, like, I look like any other white person in Vermont. So everyone answers this question a little differently, or a lot differently. 
I like to think of supporting black indigenous people of color as maybe a pretty complex uh, issue, right? Because the issue supporting black people is actually different than those uh, faced by Native Americans and indigenous folks, um, which is also different than the experience from other people of color that might be Asian um, or Latino. You know, we are not a monolith. So in order for us to understand and define the areas that we want to invest in, in this BIPOC community, um, building community first is a really important place to start. That said, there were many common themes in what people told us. So we're breaking things down into seven parts. But first, part zero? What is your reaction to the fact that this question was asked? Um, and that so many Vermonters want to know the answer. At the same, I'm I'm definitely glad that people are trying to educate themselves for sure. It's just it's being that it's 2020 now. Some there's there's a lot of people who are just like you know what I really don't care. Like uh, you don't deserve to have an answer from me now because it's been so long. Like you've, there's so many different outlets and there's this is like George Floyd isn't the first person that's been killed. I'm kind of a teacher, so I'm probably always going to do that, but. There are times when it gets really tiring and I just, I don't want to deal with the questions, you know, and I think we all as people of color feel that, that we, we just don't want to bother sometimes, you know, and like, we don't want to translate things for you. It's frustrating. It's upsetting. It's a reminder that Vermont's is for all the, I really do love this state and it living here just calls to mind the James Baldwin quote of, of America. And I'm paraphrasing, but I love America dearly. So I, re- I reserve the right to critique it. I, I love it here, but man, it can be really, I just want to pull my hair out sometimes. I need white Vermonters to stop expecting to be educated from people of color all the time. We are the people who are being directly affected by your racism and it's exhausting for us. And it is not people of color's job to constantly help you understand your identity because we're trying to live our own. My reaction to this question is, good question. And wondering if the asker, askers are ready for the answer. That last voice you heard belongs to Susanna Davis. Unlike the many people who talk to us on their own time for this story, Susanna gets paid for this kind of thing. It is her job. She's the racial equity director for the state of Vermont. I think oftentimes people are looking for things that feel easily attainable or minimally inconvenient, but are people really prepared for what it's going to take? to support people of color, even if it means that the status quo and the privileges that they enjoy might not look the same. And then I suppose the short answer that I have to the question is, how can the state support Vermonters of color carefully and explicitly? Part one, reality check. Um, the first thing at the top of my list is I really wish white Vermonters would stop pretending there's no racism in Vermont. We need to start saying that there is a problem, then working on steps to to fix it instead of patting 
ourselves on the back. We are not immune. And the statistics tell us this, but it's not the story that white Vermonters tell white Vermonters. And particularly, it's not the story that white liberal Vermonters tell white liberal Vermonters. We are a place that is utopian, that is beyond reproach. And I think a lot of people buy that. Could be because they only think of racism as being extreme alt-right acts. But that is a completely false narrative that is taught. I am referring to systemic racism, not just the stereotypical good old person in a pickup truck with a big Confederate flag, but uh, the unwillingness to share power in any respect. And microaggressions that no one is talking about. I experience racism on a personal level every day, and the majority of white people can't even recognize that they're being racist. And this puts me in a position of feeling so isolated because everyone around me believes the behavior is okay or doesn't understand and doesn't even recognize it as racism. I need white Vermonters to learn to unpack their implicit and explicit biases. I don't want to be followed in stores anymore, and I'm sick of people touching my afro. Like, the racism here can be kind of insidious, because it's not like the in-your-face kind, you know, that you might get in somewhere else. Like, even, say, in Boston, you know? I mean, it can, some instances can get like that. When I drive, I still see con- Confederate flags flying in this state. This idea that, oh yeah, there are some of those wackos or some of those people out there that are overtly racist, but in general, they don't exist. And that is not actually true about the landscape of this state. And we, one thing I need as somebody who is a part of the BIPOC community in Vermont is for white liberals to actually confront and engage with the realities of overt white supremacy in the state. Look around you, you know, Vermont has been white for so long, white is the norm. How does that impact people's individual views of people of color? How many people may have run to Vermont to get away from people of color? The other thing I would like to ask our government and our people, and white Vermonters in particular, is to stop pretending that white is synonymous with normal. There are hundreds of cultures in this world. There are hundreds of cultures in our country. And certainly more cultures would be evident in our state if people felt like they could be themselves. So in short, the state of Vermont and its people can support Blacks and other people of color by admitting that we are not better with racial injustice and ours is only hidden. So I think acknowledging that is a very, very, very important step. It's not enough to say, oh no, not here, or to misquote or have quote the state constitution. You know, unfortunately, that's going to be a big hurdle for a lot of folks. A VPR Vermont PBS poll released just this week found the following. The share of Vermonters who think their community is welcoming of diversity, 81%. Support Black Lives Matter, 66%. But when asked if racism is a problem in Vermont today, 
Only 24% of people say, yes, it's a big problem. Everyone else, they think the problem is moderate or small or non-existent. Which brings us to part two. Part two. Listen. How can the state, both the government and its people, support Vermonters of color? Listen to us. Three-word answer. Simple as that. Mm -hmm. I think one thing that Vermonters can do to better support Black, Indigenous, and people of color who live in Vermont would be just to believe the stories we tell you. I'm afraid of the police, not because it's imaginary, but because I have real bad experiences with the police. And instead of asking me to justify my fear of police or justify why I don't want police around my kids, it would be great if Vermonters could simply hear me say, this is how I feel about police. And believe me, because every time I have to retell the story of a police officer being aggressive with me, it means I have to relive that trauma. If white people were able to stop for a second, take in the moment, listen to what I have to say, learn about their racism, and think about why what they did is racist, it would be revolutionary. And not necessarily that being, you know, sitting down one-on-one and just drawing out all of the information you can from one Black person, um, but actually listening to Black voices, um, accepting Black leadership over you. To be a good leader means that you have to acknowledge that, that we are an evolving community. And to continue to do the best job that you can, you can do means listening to new voices that perhaps you haven't listened to before. And, and honest listening means not being defensive, but critically thinking about systems, because we're talking about systemic issues that need systemic solutions. We're not talking about people. We're not talking about the past. We're not even talking about the present. We're talking about a future that works for everyone. For me and everybody around the state of Vermont, it would be uh, no matter what color you are, you have a right to be, be there and to make your voice heard and to be known that, hey, I have an issue that's been, been ingrained in Vermont. There's issues in, in Vermont being ingrained for decades that haven't yet had our uh, voices heard or met since forever. And we're just here to make sure that you uh, keep your end of your, the word and part of the bargain that you're supposed to basically include all. Part three, educate yourself and others. What I would say to folks is that their learning is continual. It cannot happen all at once, and it's not going to happen in a condensed amount of time. So when people attend a training and they think, well, I'm done, I went to that forum, or I attended a training, or I saw her speak once, and and I get it, I get it now, and I read White Fragility. Okay, great. But what you're saying is you read a book written by a white person for white people about people who are not white. And it's a great start. And I recommend Robin D'Angelo's White Fragility to all white people in Vermont, actually to all people. Um, and it is not nearly the only or the best resource. I think that 
the state has a long ways to go in terms of, you know, correct education in schools and getting Abenaki people to help teach that education um, and also learning more about the language and just, I think, just really like the actual, the true history and, and up to present time, recognizing that Abenaki people are still here. We have a history, too, and the Abenaki people have a history, too, that's part of Vermont, and it gets glossed over time and time again, and people pretend that other people who are non-white and non-European don't have a history here. We do, and we want more notice of it. School teachers, big one. A school, the school teachers and the education is, a, is my biggest, that's my biggest one right there. I feel like if, if anyone wants to help, that's where it's going to these uh, board of education meetings and talking to the board of education like they need to reform the school system like the way they taught us that like Christopher Columbus discovered America and they highlight like slavery so hard that you make you have these black people believing they grow up like I grew up young in in the ghetto but they had, our teachers had us feeling like slavery is where my ancestors like where my history began you know in school we learned that the Abenaki were extinct they didn't live here anymore and we also learned that they were barely here, that it was just hunting grounds and all these kind of old myths of what the Abenaki presence was in Vermont. Um, so for me to say I was Abenaki growing up uh, was, you know, I was laughed at. If you're in control of the media that someone else in your life is consuming, ask yourself, who are the protagonists in those media? Um, when you do have characters of color in the media you consume, are they the typical sidekick trope? Do you listen to um, only very narrow types of music? You know, watch films that are informative in nature, movies that show the Black experience in a way that sensationalizes their pain. Those aren't educational tools, right? That's trauma porn. Um, watching and then watching films only about slavery or emancipation, right? Like you shouldn't be limiting your films to um, movies about violence or about slavery. That's not going to teach you about uh, marginalized people. Part four, socialize yourself. That VPR Vermont PBS poll we mentioned earlier, it also asked this. How often do you interact with others that do not share your racial identity? Less than half the respondents, 42%, said they do this frequently. Almost 30% said seldom or almost never. I moved to Vermont five years ago, and it takes me three years to find a few good friends here. I'm patient enough. If not, I won't be here today. Vermonters I know have big family locally and they have few time for a new friend. If it takes 10 hours to get to know a local Vermonter, it might take 60 or more hours to get to know an immigrant like me. Most people tend to go with the easy trail by choosing friends that are similar to them. In Vermont, that means white, but not the different one. In Vermont, not white. To answer Teal's question, I think Vermonters need to be willing to spend time knowing a person that is different from them. It's easy to call out uh, how racism is a horrible thing. It's a different thing to say, hey, there's a new black dude in town or a new black woman or a new black family or, you know, black child at my kid's school. 
Maybe I'll take them mountain biking. Maybe I'll take them kayaking. Maybe I'll take them skiing. Um, you know, just being open uh, and sharing uh, some of the passions that you might have as a Vermonter with other people who you might not initially think they would be interested. That's hard, right? Because you definitely don't want uh, minor like people of color. We don't want you to just <laughs> come up to us and say like, hey, be my black friend. So that's, yeah, that's that's a really that's a hard question. And that's a really important question because I feel like it's a lot of people are thinking, how can I diversify my circle? And I think that a big part of that is local arts, which obviously is, is so decimated right now with the global pandemic. But if you put yourself out there, you'll build connections. If you openly and honestly and intentionally change some of the spheres in which you operate in, whether that's you go to, maybe you go to one show or you log on to one Zoom conference or something or the other, and you ask maybe one question during a Q&A portion, maybe the moderator of that Zoom, you run into them at City Market or you run into them at something else, and then you say hi, and next thing you know, you've got an acquaintance. And don't just do so for your own edification and so that you can consume stories about their trauma but make a real connection in a way that shows that you care about them as people, not just because you want them to relive their history of marginalization so that you can gawk at it and feel better about yourself. Also, when you meet people of color, could you please stop assuming that they're not from here? Part 5. When the time is right, talk. I think it's normal that people avoid this topic as it is sensitive and they don't want to get into trouble. People generally try to avoid hearty conversation and prefer to play a safe card. They ask, how are you? But they really only want to hear, I'm fine. If most Vermonters don't feel comfortable to talk about race, through time, people of color will become an outsider. If someone's making some very obvious racist statements, even if there's no black people around, uh, I think white people can definitely call out their friends and maybe help reset the frame for some of the things that they might be saying. And especially if you're white, you need to be having those uncomfortable conversations with your family and friends to see where everyone is. And you need to be calling it out. like Because us alone, our groups alone can't reach every single person. And we're not going to, it's impossible. We're not going to get to reach every person. So that's where we need these white, white allies that want to join in and help. That's where we need them to, to help the most. Go talk to your family and your friends and have those super uncomfortable conversations that you know they don't want to have or hear. And if they don't like it, oh, well, they don't, those obviously are not your friends. I mean, I just listened tonight to the brave little state asking what's the meaning behind the Confederate flag and why do Vermonters fly the Confederate flag? If we could, it seems like a small thing, but even have five of the neighbors who live in that town turn to their neighbor and say, like, that's not okay. I am not okay with this. Um, Or a family member of theirs who, you know, doesn't even live in that town say, listen, I don't know what you think that that symbolizes, but to me and to people of color in this state, that symbolizes hate. That's the kind of allyship that we need and that we're looking for. I mean, the best thing that you can do is if you know that racism and bullying is happening in your school, get involved if you're a parent. If you know it's happening in the workplace, get involved. 
it doesn't have to be as painful as we think it has to be. You know, it can simply be a conversation and it's going to be an ongoing conversation. You know, it doesn't have to be awkward. It's just, you know, I'm not, I'm not expecting my white friends, the white people that I, I meet day to day. I'm not expecting folks to be perfect because we're all learning a lot of different things. And so just being really intentional with everything that you're doing from the money you're spending to the way you're talking to people. Part six, spend money intentionally. Be intentional about supporting the businesses of black and uh, minority owned businesses in Vermont. I think that that's something that just as people we can do. I am not a fan of diversity numbers, but I think it's very important for people in positions of power to ask themselves how they are in the way of the people of color within their institution and ask the hard question of, do you truly offer the same opportunity to people of color that you offer to your white colleagues? Uh, The ability to provide opportunities for people, not that are undeserved, right? But just allowing me to compete on a level playing field with everyone else, right? Allowing me to develop myself along with everyone else. I want and need Vermont to seek out, include, and hire people of color as employees in the legislature, definitely in schools, town decision-making processes or boards, and more community organizations and businesses. And to not have the people of color in those positions just to fill a diversity quota. I need these places to actively support these people of color in the positions and continuously work on analyzing the environment and its impact on people of color. Part 7. Do you. Like, look at your life and see where you see something lacking for people of color. And maybe that's what you're, maybe that's how you help the community. Because we can't do and be everything to everybody. But in our life, like, there are places where we can make a change. So, for example, if this is a person who is an attorney, maybe start by doing more pro bono litigation. Maybe focus your practice on civil rights cases. Or if you are a mom of two kids, um, maybe start by going to your school superintendent or the board or what have you, or the PTA, and saying, hey, what's the racial composition of our faculty? What's the racial composition of our administrative staff? If you are a farmer, maybe you have land that you're looking to lease. Maybe look for a farmer of color who's looking for a land lease and partner with them. If you are in the art, maybe you have some sort of say over what creative um, acts or artists your organization hosts or features. Maybe you're retired and you've worked in an office your whole life, well, maybe volunteer with your local uh, resettlement group and see if you can tutor or mentor people who are studying for the citizenship exam or something like that. I think we think it has to be very specialized. You have to be out in the streets and raising your fist. You can affect small changes in small ways too, and those are helpful. And I mean, I think the... uh, The symbolic gestures are great, but substantive things, I think, are what people are really looking for. 
I am deeply fearful that what could happen in this moment is that we basically all had a collective moment of reckoning. It was then continuously amplified on the backs of black and brown people. And now that we've gained a little bit of momentum, I'm deeply fearful that black and brown people are not going to sit at the center of the solutions that we create. And that this momentum that we've built literally off of black bodies and off of black input is going to be used for other issues and for other purposes. So yes, we've had Black Lives Matter protests, anti-police brutality protests. We've painted a BLM mural in Burlington. We've raised Black Lives Matter flags at our schools, yes. But what needs to change is the system. And so until that is truly and fully acknowledged and we stop thinking that Vermont is better just because X, Y, and Z, that is when real change will happen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, VPR. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Thanks for asking the question, Teo, and I hope to hear this show. Take care, all. Bye-bye. Thanks for having me on the show, Angela. I'm, I'm glad I was able to help you make this episode. Thanks so much for listening to the show. Bryant Denton produced this episode with me. Thanks to Teo Spencer for the great question, and to everyone who helped answer it. Yvonne Bruno, Matt Clark, Mayumi Cornell, Susanna Davis, Ash Diggs, Ryer Erickson, Trevon Groves, John Hunt, Reuben Jackson, Ashley Laporte, Jessica Laporte, Matthew LaFleur, Z. Muhammad, Niall Rele, Wen Yushi, Benny Yodishembo, and Jonathan in central Vermont, who didn't want to share his last name because he has, quote, at least one neighbor that's running a Confederate flag. We have even more written reflections and some bonus audio up at our website, bravelittlestate.org. We're also showcasing work from some BIPOC Vermont artists. Also at our website, you can ask your own question, sign up for our newsletter, and vote on the question you want us to tackle next. On Instagram and Twitter, we're at BraveStateVT. This episode was edited by Lynn McRae. Our digital producer is Elodie Reed, and we have engineering support from Chris Albertine. Ty Gibbons composed our theme music, other music by Blue Dot Sessions. Special thanks to Mark Hughes, Shirley Hook, Don Stevens, AALV, Gloria Gonzalez-Centeno, and Jonathan Butler. Brave Little State is a production of Vermont Public Radio. We have support from the VPR Innovation Fund and VPR members. If you like our show, make a gift at bravelittlestate.org slash donate. I'm Angela Evansy. We will be back soon with a question about a COVID vaccine. Until then, remember, be brave, ask questions. Postscript. Earlier in this piece, you heard Bryant say that he's one of just a few people of color that work at VPR. To be exact, there are four people of color on staff, including part-time employees. That's out of a staff of 74 people. As for VPR's news team, all our full-time staffers are white. 
and there are no people of color in station leadership. So what is VPR going to do to better support Vermonters of color? I put the question to VPR's president and CEO, Scott Finn, and I got this response. Quote, VPR's vision is to explore the whole Vermont story together. I think employees here take that word whole to heart and work hard to show the full diversity of our community through our stories and programs. One place where we've fallen short is in the hiring and retention of Black, Indigenous, and people of color employees. Unquote. Finn outlined four things he and station leadership are committed to doing in the next year, including working with an outside expert to improve hiring practices and workplace culture, diversifying voices online and on the air, auditing our news and music content, and expanding VPR's Diverse Voices Fund. We've got the full statement online. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.